Hey, it's Scott Orn of Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Olm. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Horner Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Haya DeCamps of Comp. Welcome, Haya. Thank you. Good to be back. We were just talking before I turned the mics on. You have the, the best, as fitting for someone who's doing a video events conferencing startup, you have the best camera and lighting and everything I've ever seen. I wish everyone else could see how <laughs> handsome how clear you are right now well it's fun i mean this this company really pulls together a whole bunch of the stuff i've been doing for years right i worked as a tv producer for a couple of years and i really care about av quality and it's just been an excuse to spend a god awful amount of money on getting it right and of course you know spending i was just saying before we went on i think i think there's probably about five grand worth of av equipment powering this zoom call and i'm like well that's a little bit uh, overkill for a video call but the funny thing is everybody i jump on a call with go wait what's going on here i feel like i'm about to go yeah. on television and i want to do the dlsr thing too like it just it makes a huge difference but you also before you ran comp you ran like a camera company basically right like absolutely i am i am an above average camera nerd uh, i've written 15 or 16 books about uh, photography including some beginner guides like travel photography guides. I wrote the book on macro photography. So, you know, you can safely call me a camera nerd, but I also really believe in application over, over technology, right? I mean, nobody gives a damn if you use the fanciest equipment, if it looks awful. And I think that's true for everything. The worst insult you can tell a photographer is like, oh, that's a really good photo. You must have a great camera. I was like, well, <laughs> nope. Please compliment the photographer, not the camera. Yeah, exactly. Or, hey, you run a really good uh, accounting firm. You must have really good computers. I'm like, well, no, it's got nothing to do with it. You've got a really exciting company. I've had you on the podcast before. You worked at a VC firm. But you basically, you took the leap, and you're building a super cool uh, company called Comp, K-O-N-F. Um, so maybe just kind of retrace your career a little bit and tell everyone about Comp and how you got there. Yeah. I mean, most recently, I was at a, at a venture capital firm, and I think... One day I ended up waking up and realized that venture capital isn't my pace. You know, um, in VC, you make lots of really well-educated uh, bets and guesses, but you don't really know until a company exits whether or not you made the right choices. And, you know, that can take 10 years. And I think I just got less and less comfortable with that pace of life. I am definitely a have an idea in the morning, sketch it out late morning, implemented by the afternoon and the next day you start getting data to see whether or not it worked. 
that is more my pace. And as I kind of started feeling into, okay, what do I really want to do with my life? I eventually realized that, okay, maybe it's time to change gears a little bit and do something where I can get back on the entrepreneurial side. And of course, in the venture capital firm, I was basically the, I was the director of portfolio. So I was kind of an industrial scale um, startup mentor to a portfolio of about a hundred companies. And so I spent so much time with the entrepreneurs and more and more, I was like looking at the other side of the table going, you guys are having more fun than I am. <laughs> I really need to, uh, I really need to yeah. swap seats here. And more stress, but you're like living, it's like living life a little bit more. Oh, totally. Know, like- I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. I miss my paycheck. I miss my hours. Yeah. I miss all the stuff that is wonderful about VC. But I think ultimately I, I was thinking about what is the most efficient way that I can impact the world in things I care about. And yeah. I had this kind of uh, sitting on a mountain meditating type moment where I was like, what do I really care about? And I was like, okay, there's two things that really set my soul alight. And one is connecting humans to other humans, like interhuman connection, like having real, like screw the small talk, let's have big talk type conversations. And ultimately the environment and climate change and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the line I keep repeating to people is like, look, if it turns out that ruining the planet is the right thing to do, we can do that later. We don't have to do it now. Um, yeah. let's give, let's keep the options open to do things the right way and to keep the planet around for long enough to figure out what we need to be doing. And I just think like uh, at some point I had this kind of vision like, okay, how do I, what can I do with my life to have a massive outsized positive impact on the planet? You know, I can right now grab a glove and a, and a, and a bag and clean up the street outside my house, but that is so local. And I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I want to think big. And conference of virtual events and uh, conferencing platform. And if, you, if you've spent much time at expos or conferences, those things are so wasteful. You know, every year, a billion people get on tr- uh, planes, trains and automobiles to travel to these events, putting enormous amount of carbon into the air uh, and the events themselves, too. You know, it's all disposable, everything. It's all, you know, they build all these massive stands and then tear them down again a week later and everything goes to the landfill and you know it, it is so awfully wasteful and at some point my co-founder came to me he's a massive env- environmentalist as well and said hey I've got this really cool idea for uh moving the needle on the world of digital events wouldn't it be cool if there was a platform that was good enough to eliminate a percentage of all the travel that needs to happen and i was like yeah that sounds like a great idea let's let's take a look at the competitive landscape and see what's out there and uh, yeah, that was the beginning of our journey. It's it's pretty amazing. And that kind of coincided with when COVID hit too, right? Like you guys were having those, because I remember when you and I were talking, mm-hmm. we were having those conversations and all of a sudden COVID hit and it was like, oh my God, it kind of like accelerated everything. Yeah. Three or four years. But I also felt like it kind of made your decision easier because you had a pretty good life before. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, this, this is like, a, I'm staring at a catalyst right now. Yeah. That can really turbocharge comp. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, what we've really seen is about five years worth of evolution in three months. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think there was already a trend towards taking more of these events and putting them in the virtual world. Uh, There's a lot of types of events where, you know, in-person makes sense and in-person might be better, but there was already a trend. Of course, there was lots of little hoops you had to jump through, right? People hadn't figured out video. People have crappy internet at home. You know, they they can't find a piece in their house to to do meetings and that kind of stuff. But because of COVID, you know, everybody who had crappy internet connections spent the time and money to upgrade them. Everybody who hadn't figured out video conferencing spent the time and money to figure that out. 
And, you know, if you live in a house with other people, occasionally you had to take a meeting that you had to do. So you clear out a room or you make agreements with your housemates or whatever it is, you, you make the space you need in order to have that peace of mind to be able to carve out an hour of silence. And I yeah. think just with these three, three things, you just saw a massive behavioral, an enormous amount of behavioral change in almost no time at all. Um, and the other example I like to use is that there's a bunch of people who were like staunchly anti-video who have now changed their mind. And that, that's what I want to talk about too, because it's in, impacting both our businesses. Yeah. You're, you're right. There's been the, the cultural thing that also changed. I mean, we've been we've been a distributed company for a long time, for two and a half years now, mm -hmm. almost three years. And like one out of like 25 companies would not want to work with us because they'd be like, well, you're not going to come to our office. Right. And we'd be like, look, you don't even, you say, think you want us to come to your office, but you'll have us come one time. We'll end up sitting in another room. You won't even talk to us because you'll have other things going on. And then we'll go. And we could have just been so much more productive and less costlier for you if we would have just done everything over video and remote. Yeah. And Literally so, the only time I have wanted to be in the same space as my accountants, uh, you you accepted because I like to go have a beer with you. But at, you. in your role as an accountant, it's been when I was in the UK, my company was under the uh, was under a tax audit, and they actually sent a literal human being to our office to audit the, mm -hmm. our books. That was the one time where I was like, "Hey, accountant, can you come and sit with us? Because I don't know what the hell yeah. I'm doing, and I don't want to be put on the spot by some tax accountant." But that yeah. is like once in, in like 15 years yeah. of commercial history that I felt like that was useful. Yeah. And like the IRS, they just threw it over the internet too. Right. It's like, don't worry about that. But yeah, this is a crazy thing. I would always be like kind of flabbergasted, but like that's completely disappeared. And so I think for the better, like, and you talked, like you were talking about a lot of the environmental waste, which I totally agree with. I can see it and, you know, airplanes and pollution and, but also just the time waste. There's just I, like that's really what this period has done for me. Like I've looked at my like I used you you know this like I used to drive a half an hour from uh, Laurel Heights to downtown San Francisco. It's like less than two miles. It would take me half an hour for the trip just to go to our office and half an hour on the way home if I was lucky. Be bumper to bumper traffic the whole way. That's an hour out of my day that I've gotten back. And you know what? Like I'm actually working out way more now. Mm -hmm. Because I basically use that hour to work out, and it's like made a huge impact in my life. So there's, there's just like these, like I really respect the the climate change and the environmental waste, and especially in the Bay Area, we're feeling climate change with all the wildfires. Mm -hmm. It's really impacting air quality and things like that. So I'm 100% with you there. But I also think there's just like this time wasting that people were okay doing because they just didn't know there was a better alternative. And yeah. now, Conf is like making this so that like. Uh, there may be some reasons to go to a conference in the future, but like we, you can get 98% of the value yeah. out of a conference using comp. Well, know? and we're seeing behavioral change too. You know, we have um, one, one customer who's, who's run two big events on our platform now. Uh, they're both uh, customer events. The first one was like four days long and like eight hours of programming per day, which is basically that what they did is they took a real life conference and put it on the internet. Now, they thought about, they did a retrospective, they thought about it, and so they just did their second version of that. And actually, it was just one day, it was three hours, it was scheduled in a place where it overlaps with the largest number of their possible customers, ah. and they had almost the same amount of value. 
And I think what we're talking about them now is like, okay, what if you did three days every two months or three hours every two months or every three months? And now you're able to have much more frequent updates. And, you know, they are a technology company that has technology customers that are based all over the world. You know, you're not going to fly from Indonesia and India and Nepal to the US to sit in a room and listen to somebody talk about databases. That's crazy. It makes a lot more sense to say, okay, I just want to dial in and for the bits I missed, I want to rewatch the video. And, you know, the, the live aspect of that is all about Q&A, workshops, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff could be much better delivered over a podcast or a YouTube video or whatever. We can skip ahead when there's boring bits or you can watch it at twice the speed or whatever. And so really what you have to do for an event is to dial in what is the real benefit of attending an event in person. And it is meeting new people. It is the it's this, this, the stuff that has to be done synchronously. Q&A sessions, panels, yeah. all that kind of stuff where you have like real uh, interaction. And you'll be unsurprised that, of course, that is what Conf is building, right? Uh, we yeah. like to bill ourselves as the as the virtual events platform for people who love people, right? So if you're running Apple's AGM, you specifically don't want all your activist investors to speak to other activist investors. That is crazy. You want to keep them as separate as possible. In essence, right. what you're doing is you're running a YouTube live stream with the comments turned yeah, off. That's exactly it. You're We're like, the, even like or yeah. talks are kind of like that too. Yeah, exactly. You know? And we're trying to do the opposite. We're, what we're saying is like, look, if you are running an event where you care that the attendees talk to other attendees and build friendships, collaborations, marketing, sales, whatever your goal is, we have a whole bunch of events running on the platform that are properly grassroots driven, right? They're all like community organized groups and they love what we do because it's all about you know, uh, lots of breakout rooms where you can choose to be there rather than the Zoom action of being picked up and dropped into a room, which I oh, hate. That's something the- that's driving me crazy about that. Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe talk a few about a few of the features of Comp because, like, that's the one that drives me super crazy with yeah. Zoom. And so it sounds like you guys have built something that makes this like super optional, or or even opting into your own a breakout room of your choosing. Precisely. I mean, I really believe in choice and choose your own adventure, right? And so what we've built is a platform where, you know, each session is in effect a micro community. So if if I am holding a, in fact, I'm doing this in a few weeks, I'm, I'm doing a session on how to write a book because I've write, written a few. It's something people love to talk to me about. And so what I'm doing is I've prepared like a little 20 minute talk. And after that's a Q&A. So I can invite people to come up on stage. They can jump up on stage. We can have a little back and forth. They can go off the stage again. They can go, next person goes on stage and that kind of stuff. Now, in theory, what we could do is say, okay, this is a one hour session. And then there is somebody else who is like, uh, I don't know, Stephen King is booked in a different session talking specifically about horror writing, right? And there's a or something. Yeah. Well, there can be overlap because the room in or the, the stage I'm on only closes when I close it. So some people are super engrossed in my Q&A and don't like horror. They can keep talking to me. And eventually when I close the stage, the questions remain, the chat remains. And if people want to continue talking, they can continue talking. So now you're at choice. Do you want to go to a breakout room to talk to other wannabe authors? Do you want to go to a breakout room and talk to potential publishers? Do you want to go to a Stephen King's session and listen to him and then do that Q&A? And then you can always go back to the other session and continue the chat conversation. Or you can yeah. even listen to one stage and then chat about something completely different in another room. And so what we're doing is we're kind of giving people their choice back and saying, look, it is unrealistic. If I do eight hours worth of scheduling and I pick you up and I put you into a room, it is unlikely that you're going to follow everything. That's just not how people live their lives. 
Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to ChartHop. ChartHop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market. And basically what ChartHop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud. And I always like to say, like, it brings transparency to your organization. And so, you know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals in the company. And so you can click on the chart out profile and just get like where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is ChartOp has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving ChartOp. Check it out, chartop.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it, and I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. I totally agree. And I, we, we do, as, as you were talking, actually, I realized I need to make a connection for you. But I do like some executive coaching in like a group, group coaching every month. And we do these Zoom calls and they're so dry and there's everyone's tuning out. It's, it's obvious everyone's tuning out. Yeah. Because you can't opt in to different, like you, you have no control. You're just being talked at the whole time. And yeah. so I love like these features you built that, that kind of give you some control. Yeah. Or we could do like side breakout sessions while the speaker's talking or side conversations that, to get more out of the speakers. Yeah, totally. It, and actually, really we've, we've really gone out of our way to make that the default behavior. We have one customer who came to us and said, hey, during the main keynote, is it possible to turn off the chat? And so, you know, from a technical point of view, yes, you comment out the chat, the chat is gone. You're right. It's, it's, yeah. it's like six characters worth of code and we can fix that problem. But we yeah. actually chose not to do that for the customer. And we said, look, if you believe strongly enough that people shouldn't communicate during the keynote, you should probably find yourself another platform. Not because all they're going to do is they're going to be on their email or do something else. Precisely. Right? Or are they going to have a side chat on Slack or what have you? Yeah. And it's much yeah. better to have it right there. Let people communicate. And I think just as as the platform, we care about that enough that we don't really want to turn that off. I'm with you. It's like an engagement enhancer, not a like that person was looking at it as like an engagement detractor. Mm -hmm. But really, the chat is like it it gets people more engrossed in yep. the conversation which I think makes tons of sense. Yeah, and uh, another thing we actually recommend people do is that they pre-record their chats, right? So if you have a little keynote thing, that you pre-record your little keynote, press play, but then that you yourself participate in the chat. Oh, so it's that's like, super It's smart. like live commentary and live Q&A over the top of your own keynote. I mean, can you imagine anything more engaged? People are there, they're thinking, they're, they're doing stuff, but they're also being able to talk to the author of this keynote while the slides are playing and all that kind of stuff. And it, the engagement yeah. just goes through the roof because that's really what you want to do. You're sitting there thinking, daydreaming. They say something clever. You want to go, oh, but have you thought about, or I disagree, or, oh, I also heard about this other thing, right? And you're able to be so much more integrated. And I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's just a little bit of thinking about who matters in these, in these things. And a lot yeah. of the other platforms are like, they're really good for uh, sponsors. They're really good for organizers and they're really good for speakers. But if you think about it, those three groups represent less than 1% of the people attending the damn thing. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, make it good for the attendees. Let, let make it engaging, make it good. And that is actually good for everybody else too. I love the, um, the, what you're talking about with like being able to talk over your pre video recorded speech is, um, it's kind of like the director's cut mm -hmm. DVD of like yeah. a movie. And I love watching those cause you get like the director and the actors 
talking about what happened here, what's going on, or what their logic. Yeah, like was. the director's commentary track kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, the director's commentary, not cut. Excuse me, but yeah, you're. T- that's that's a really mind blowing idea. I love that idea so much. I just think there's something about. I think it's your overall orientation towards control, like giving the audience control, mm-hmm. is really the difference for me. Like all these things spring from that. Yeah. Because well, and I think it's that. something that's really in the zeitgeist anyway. You know, it's like giving people control. The extension of that for me is giving you control over who can communicate with you. You know, we haven't rolled out our one-to-one communication yet, but when we do, I want to put you at choice. You know, I want to. We're actually adding something we like to think uh, think of as uh, wristbands. So if you have a red wristband, people can't talk to you. It's like a no. I'm not here to be communicated at. If I want to talk to you, I do that. Yellow means you get to send me exactly one message. So you get to say, you basically can pitch like, hey, Scott, I would love to talk to you about butterflies. And if you go, you know what? I'd love to talk to you about butterflies. You can click yes. And now we can communicate. If not, you can click no or ignore. But And in every message that gets sent, there's going to be a block button, a mute button, and a report button. Because, I mean, you know this as well as I do, there is so much nasty shit that happens online and especially in conferences and stuff like that. And in a real world, you can vote with your feet. You know, if somebody says something inappropriate to you, you can get up, you can walk away. If it's really inappropriate, you can call a security guard. But that that, uh, dynamic doesn't exist in the context of a virtual event. And I think it's super important. I mean, really what it boils down to is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? If you don't feel safe you're not going to be able to have a real connection with someone. And that is just really, and like literally no other platform is doing this. And I'm like, look, that is important enough to me as a crazy liberal California hippie, but it's also important to me as a human because I think it is really the only reason to go to an event is to connect with other people. Otherwise, almost for for everything, if you're not connecting with other people, it is just not the right venue. It should be an article or a YouTube video or whatever. So if that is true, then it has to be safe and you have to be in control. I love your tagline, the, the video conference uh, app for people who love people. <laughs> but that makes yeah. so much That's a really good North Star too. I think that's a really smart idea. Well, let's talk about maybe give the audience your business model or people who are listening to this, like thinking about like, is comp right for me? How do I pay for it? You know, how, how do I make sure that this is secure? All that kind of stuff to kind of, because I think I think people are probably listening to saying, "Hey, this is pretty interesting." What's the other side of the pitch? You know? Yeah, we actually are evolving our business uh, model a little bit at the moment. So the interesting thing is, if you think about how people buy uh, an event platform or choose an event platform, it's not like Slack, where you sign up today, you start using it today, and you have full you have full value, mm-hmm. right? What happens for an event is if you decide to do like a masterclass for all of your CEOs who are on your platform, for example, you it comes up as an idea today. That, mean, that doesn't mean you're running it later this week. It means you're running it probably in a few months, Yeah. right? Now, the problem is we are a extremely rapidly developing platform. So the features that exist on the platform today are going to be different than a few months from now. And so if you say, oh, actually, I really want polling. I want to be able to poll my listeners. If you say, I'm going to run my event today. Can I do polling? My answer is no, we haven't got it yet. But actually, I know that's coming out in the next four weeks or so. So we're actually sell, we're, we're, we're in this really weird sales process. The customer has an idea of where they want to go, and we're kind of skating to where the puck is going. But in the sales process, we're actually able to say, well, if you want these things, we can guarantee that these three things will exist by the time your event rolls around. These two we're trying for, but we don't know yet. And then, so we have it kind of set up uh, from the business model point of view that you can like license the platform for a single event. 
or you can do an annual subscription where you get, I think at the moment we do uh, 2,500 uh, attendee credits, right? So if you want to run 10 250 person events, you're covered. Yeah. If you want to run 125 people events, you're covered. Or of course, we you can buy extra credits, that kind of thing. But to us, the cost of letting you add more events is zero. The cost to yeah. us is really getting you onboarded in the first place, explaining how to best use the thing. Once, once you're up and running, no, we don't care if you run one event or 20 events. That's all fine by us. And then on top of that, we have like an enterprise plan, which we use for like if you want uh, heavier customizations or realistically what you might be paying for is like, hey, this polling thing, you say you want, you're going to do that three months from now. I need it one month from now. Can I pay a little bit extra to get it nudged to the top of the list? And we yeah. say, sure, we'll go and build that for you. And it's also a nice feedback loop for you. Oh, it's great. You're learning exactly what the market wants. Yeah. Like the puck is telling you where to go yep. to use the analogy. So that's really, really cool. And what's your customer? Because when I was on the site, you have like a really nice span of customers. You've got like kind of the grassroots that you were talking about earlier, yep. but you also have big enterprises who are using you guys. It's, yep. it's pretty cool what's happening. Like what, what are the kind of, who are some of your example customers? A couple of weeks ago, we ran the largest uh, startup ecosystem event in Norway. It's called Oslo Innovation Week. Uh, and it ran entirely on our platform. You know, we did all the, like the entire schedule lived within the platform. Uh, and we actually had the concept of an external session, which basically means in the schedule, uh, there's there's a link essentially to an external session that is off platform. So if some of these yeah. sessions run in Zoom, some of them might run in other competitor platforms. Uh, some of them might be just, oh, go and watch this YouTube video and then we discuss. And so there's like ways of, of basically for us to be the hub of everything that happens. That's really cool. Yeah. And then they did an amazing job of, of having lots of really good speakers. They had a really good production team and that kind of stuff. And that was one of the more elaborate platform uh, things that ran on our platform. We have a couple of customers that I can't really talk about, but one of them is a nationally uh, or internationally recognized magazine. And they are uh, running their kind of big session for all of their um, writers and contributors. So basically like, hey, where are we taking this magazine? What is our editorial strategy? How are we going to build this magazine from the inside? But for them, that's a dry run to actually do the same thing, but for their readers and say, hey, mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we put together a really good interactive thing for our readers that includes like the, maybe some celebrities, maybe some of our editors, maybe some of our, all those uh, bits and pieces. And That's of course, amazing. magazines are really good at content production, so they're going to do a fantastic job. That, and they're probably going to be highly opinionated because they're great at articulating 100%. communication. So I was and, thinking and because of our uh, massive kind of focus on green, if you're a climate change uh, organization, we actually host your host your uh, event for free. So oh, we have the first one is happening later this week. It's from an organization called Break Free from Plastic. Their kind of stated goal is to massively reduce the amount of plastic, new plastics used. So they're basically really big on plastic recycling and alternative uh, stuff. And we took a look at them. We have like a little application form. We took a look at them and we're like, you know what? We really believe in the thing you are building. And so we're going to host it for free. So that's one way that we're just basically, of course, it's great marketing for us, but it also is so aligned with our core values that, you know, if we can, uh, if we can make their event better than it would have been otherwise, it fulfills their mission faster and it fulfills our mission faster. So yeah, we're like works. explicitly like a proper triple bottom line company, which is actually really interesting because we're currently out there raising some money and some of the investors just run for the hills. They're like, oh, you know, when are you going to give me a return on investments? Like, 
sorry, this this is how we run this company. If you don't like it, I don't think I don't think we are a good fit for from an investment point of view. But companies like Salesforce do that too, and so those investors are crazy if they're running away from you. Like right, Salesforce, and I mean Kickstarter is famously a B corp, and there's a bunch of really successful companies that care about this. And again, I think. My big epiphany before we started this company is like, hey, if I'm starting another company, I am a choice. I get to make all these decisions. I get to decide what we care about, what we don't care about. I, I get to decide who we hire, what our hiring strategies are. I get to choose who we give events to for free and, and what the criteria are there. And I think just having that. So I am a really strong believer is in that brand is really about personality right? And the personality of our company is that we care about certain things and yeah. that should flow through every part of the company. Yeah. I love it. it brand is what you make of it. I, to, I totally agree about that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk before we got to wrap up here in a few minutes, but there's also something super cool about one of the decisions you've made and who your company is and what your personality is that you have an incredibly diverse team yeah. that you've assembled. Like maybe talk about that a little bit. I have run a, a bunch of companies now. And at some point during each of the companies, I came to a realization, which is that uh, I'm surrounded by white guys. And, you know, we get the work done. But also I'm like, look, if I am literally the CEO of a company, it means that I made choices at some point that meant that we ended up where we are today. And if I'm unhappy now, then that is 100% on my back. That is yeah. my fault. And I hold up my hands. And a lot of the time, by the time I finally got around to thinking about that, uh, it meant it was essentially too late, right? Either because the company was already in a downward trajectory or because, you know, culturally it is so strong that you scare away more diverse yeah. hires. You know, you don't want to be the first lesbian black woman to join a massive group of just dudes sitting around. And yeah. so we took a different approach with this one. And actually now we are 60% uh, women on the team. Our entire development team is women. And the the way we solve problems is notably different than any other company I've I've worked in. You know, the bulk of our development team is actually in Egypt, in Cairo. And, you know, it works from a time zone point of view because, uh, in fact, I'm the only person out here uh, in, in the US. The rest of my team is all in Europe and in Africa. But it works from a, it works from a time zone point of view. It works from a uh, who we want to be point of view. And I think it's just, I think it's delightful to learn a lot about culture differences, how you integrate uh, people into teams, but also how to accommodate various people's needs and quirks and, and foibles. And I think that is really how you build a company for people who love people. Yeah, I love it. And, and I think it's really a testament to your experience and that you care that you started doing that like right away in comp instead of, you know, like you said, in prior companies, you may have gotten to 10, 20, 30, 40 people, and then all yeah. of a sudden the culture is set. And you can't, not only can you not recruit the kind of people you want, but like they're not going to be successful, maybe. Yeah. Well, and so I, think, I think this is a really obvious token of how uh, essentially the patriarchy works, right? It is easy to be the first guy in a company full of women. It's not easy to yeah. be the first woman in a company full of guys. And that yeah. is, I mean, that is just a basic injustice that, you know, unless you manage to fix it early, it means that the first woman you hire is going to have to have like a really different set of characteristics because she has to fight her way through a, a sausage fest. And I, I just know. think you are a choice. As a, as a founder, you're a choice. You get to make those choices. Uh, right now, my biggest challenge is that my board is all white. And I'm like, well, that's not fair with a company yeah. that's 60% not white. So, you know, we're thinking about that too. Like, how do we make sure that the next person we add to the poor adds adds different voices, different contexts. 
And I think that's important. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm super excited about Comp. Maybe you can tell everyone where to find Comp, how to sign up, how to get in touch with you. Yeah, please come and find us. We're at uh, klnf.co, conf.co. And uh, yeah, we have a, a friendly team of uh, humans standing by. Awesome. Hi, yeah, thanks so much for the time. Congrats on the new company. And it's also, uh, you were able to kind of share some attraction with me and it's, it sounds like you guys are doing really well. So I'm very excited for you. Yeah, awesome, man. It's, it's been fun to be back in the entrepreneur seat and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I love it. All right, buddy. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Oh.